What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is Wisconsin Democratic Party Chair Ben Wickler. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can and don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and Hold On Bags in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, the noose is tightening. The Manhattan DA may be on the verge of indicting Donald Trump. Uh, separately, a top federal judge said there's a prima facie case. He committed a crime in concealing and lying about classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. The Fulton County attempted election theft uh, isn't going to go away. And the biggest, the special counsel's probe of his January 6 actions has heated up. Now, ideally, if I could pick a case, I would not want to start with the Manhattan case involving hush money to um, Stormy Daniels. But you don't get to pick your cases. And the idea that this may be difficult, which our friend Fred Wertheimer outlined in Just Security, it may be, but it's winnable. And he committed a crime. And I think, uh, again, if you commit a crime, action ought to be taken. And uh, I think the uh, notion that this is going to give a great boost to Donald Trump, that uh, suddenly people will say he's being framed and we got to come to his defense, he may get a short-term boost. But, um, you know, this is the beginning of the end for the Donald. Well, first of all, we don't know. We, we, we know the general area that they're looking at. We're pretty confident about that. We don't know the specificity of the charges or anything like that. Uh, Ryan Goodman, who edits Just Security, and Andrew Weissman, who's a, a dear friend of this show, had a piece, op-ed piece in the New York Times yeah. saying this, this is a big deal. And uh, I think it's gonna, we're going to find out it's more involved in a misdemeanor than just Michael Cohen's word. But... Uh, you know, been, everything is moving in, in, a, in a rapid direction. So let's see what the actual indictment says. And you're right, the, the, the Fulton County stuff is barreling ahead at, at you know, some deliberate speed, but speed. And so in, in Jack Smith, it still looks like he's looking under a lot of rocks here. So let, let, let's let this thing come out and we'll, 
we can get somebody on to discuss the, the merits of how easy or tough the prosecution is. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, oftentimes people will draw parallels to a John Edwards uh, uh, indictment uh, 10 or 15 years ago. There are two differences, and they cut both ways. One, Edwards was indicted on a federal uh, charge, which is uh, easier uh, than, uh, than devising a state charge. But the other thing that's really different is that the key witness against John Edwards was a guy, I think his name actually was Andy Young, uh, and he had pocketed some of the so-called hush money, and it was in his great interest to stay out of jail by turning on Edwards. Michael Cohen is a sleazy guy. I am not going to say I think Michael Cohen has, has a scintilla of decency about him. He, he turned because he had to turn, but he's already paid a price. He's been in prison. There is no uh, just, you know, he's, he's not going to testify because he wants to stay out of trouble. So uh, I, you're right. There are details that we don't know yet, uh, and I hope that there's more than Michael Cohen. And uh, usually with Donald Trump, there is. Well, the, uh, interesting little historical factoid here. The, the, pros the unsuccessful prosecutor in the John Edwards case was none other than Jack Smith. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just, you know, and, and history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm, well, that's I'm, not... But James, yeah, I, what do you think? What do you think of your favorite, um, some of your favorite members, Jim Jordan and company, deciding they're going to haul Bragg, the Manhattan DA, before Congress? Uh, he's, he's a local. Please official. do, please do, please do. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm so far them dragging. I'm so far Jim Jordan dragging. I wish you'd drag me before Congress, so I could sit there and say, Mr. Chairman, you. Um, Eight different people have credibly accused you of being tolerant of sexual molestation of young, of young people. That's what they ought to do. And they're fools. This thing has backfired on them. Uh, I, 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 if, if I were Alvin Bragg, I, I, I wouldn't even contest a subpoena. I would show up and show, show them up for what they are, a pack of fools. And by the way, we got some pretty good people on that committee. They, they, they're not going to be very anxious. They're, they'll do press releases and... Woo-ha and that kind of stuff, but they're, even they're not that stupid. I hope they, I hope they do, but it doesn't bother me at all. Well, and the other, it was interesting, Ron DeSantis started to strike some distance this week uh, from Donald Trump. I think that's an indicator, but I must say this, uh, and I, Lord knows who you cheer for in that contest, but what really got me about DeSantis was he said, yeah, I would have done things differently. I'd have fired Tony Fauci. The press is letting down on his job. Take a look at the Florida results on COVID versus California, which had a tough COVID policy. And the answer you'll find is Florida had 60% more deaths than California and 15% more cases. The notion that Ron DeSantis did a great job on COVID is a total lie. And it's about time the press hold him accountable for that. That's, uh, I'll break away from Trump for a minute, James. I, I, I would point out one more thing uh, to, to Governor DeSantis. The, the murder rate in Florida is higher than it is in New York or California. That's right. And, and by more than just the T90 bit, too. Mm -hmm. The murder rate in Florida is higher than the murder rate in New York State or California. So maybe he should investigate what are they doing that is so much more successful than what Florida is doing. That's so a good idea. He could bring in... He could murder bring in, rate per capita yeah. by state. So what's that like, uh, uh, statistical or whatever? That, that, that you, can, you can look it up. You can look it up. 
higher COVID rates, higher murder rates. If, if COVID don't get you, to, somebody else will come to Florida. Well, the Republican congressman who was supposed to be next to Jim Jordan, the relatively sane one, of course, Dennis Rodman looks sane next to uh, Jim Jordan, is, is James Comer of uh, Kentucky. The Times had a fascinating long interview with him uh, in, in which, among other things, he almost acknowledged that uh, he had gone and hacked the server during a campaign of a former girlfriend who was criticizing him and leaked it to smear her. This is the good guy, James. This is the good guy. Uh, and he says, you know, I really want to have a fair investigation. I don't believe that. But what I do know is when he has on his committee Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and uh, Lauren Boebert and uh, Scott Perry, they won't let him. He has no choice. Uh, he has to do a hatchet job whether he wants to or not. And I think you're right. Uh, I, I hope they have... I hope they really have not only investigations but hearings every day because they make utter fools of themselves. But there's a reason because they are fools. And, and That's people true. are fools. Tend, they, they tend to make fools themselves. And I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, 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 I welcome any hearing that they want to bring forward. Uh, these are not just truly bad people but really truly stupid people. Comer said that uh, he kind of acknowledged it would be hard to stand stand up to his committee members and talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, he said it's hard for a coach to tell LeBron James what to do. The difference between LeBron James and Marjorie Taylor Greene is about 50 IQ points, fame versus infamy, and an achiever versus a district. Can you imagine saying Marjorie Taylor Greene is a LeBron James of anything? I mean, that really is, that's, that's funny. That's comical. <laughs> it's totally, but the they, they say so many stupid things. You know, thank you for pointing that one out, but it, it, it's, just, it's just stunning. It, James, it, I want to say, in passing, stunning. I mentioned Tony Fauci. Uh, I would uh, uh, urge everyone to go to YouTube and get a PBS piece that was done Tuesday night on Tony Fauci. It's a fascinating look, and I think one of the most valuable public servants this country uh, has ever yeah, been yeah. blessed to have, going from AIDS to covid and it shows what utter fools the Jordans and the Rand Pauls and the uh, critics are. It's really, it's really a, good, um, a good documentary. Great. I, I think they should haul him before Congress and let him testify. Yeah. He, before we go, let's talk about March Madness. Uh, you got a team? You're predicting them? <laughs> you know, the, uh, New York Magazine, this guy, Will Leach, I think I might be mispronouncing his name. You know, he ranked him by terms of, uh, who you wanted to win. He had Gonzaga first and Alabama last. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm kind of secretly pulling for UConn. Why am I secretly pulling for, for you? I mean, so not secretly. I, I, that was sort of my go-to team, and I had them going all the way in the bracket. Of course, the only thing I got left is probably UConn. I haven't gone back and looked at it. Uh, I, I think, a, you know, Tennessee might have an easier route to, to be relevant in a tournament than most people think. They actually, there are three SEC schools left. Uh, I, I, you know, this is, I, I truly going to let it develop. I'm going to watch the games, and I'll start pulling for somebody at some point. Yeah. All right? And, and, but I don't have any, I'm not passionate about anything, anybody. I think it's been a, a you know, it's been a pretty terrific tournament so far. Maybe the second round of the game, some of them will not that close to Arkansas, Kansas game was unbelievable. Yeah, it sure I, was. I, 
I, I think we're, in, we're, we're really in the front part of the year here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the game this weekend even. It's, it's going to, that's one of my favorite things to do is, uh, you know, the Saturday and Sunday uh, round of, you know, six, six, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Thursday, Friday. That. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, Thursday, Friday, I mean, Saturday. Right. We get four days. James, you, you stole my thunder because uh, my two bets are, are number two would be Gonzaga. Uh, and number one would be UConn. I'm doing it because I think they're really good. There are three Big East teams in here, and I'm doing it for my friend Esther Newberg, who's gone to every UConn game, it seems, for the last 40 years. But I think the Huskies are, are, are peaking at the right time. Well, I hope they do, mate. Because <laughs> uh, my, my tout, A.C. Hulk, said he, he thought UConn would go deeper than most people thought. So whenever he says something, I, I, I automatically agree with it. <laughs> Right. But uh, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about how right or wrong we were on March Madness. Yeah, no, I, I just put in a plug. I've been into this World Baseball Classic. It's every bit oh. this March Madness. Oh God! Last night was oh. an epic moments in the history of the sport of baseball with Otani facing Mike Trout, two out, you know, ninth inning, and uh, <laughs> he struck him out. <laughs> it wasn't much doubt about it. But I mean, what a great! And you actually. A lot better than people thought. Hey, that was a hats off. Uh, baseball doesn't get credit for much and probably don't deserve for a lot. But I think this is one of the better ideas. And I'm very excited about the pitch clock and the rule changes it made. I think they're going to be good. You want to predict how much money Otani's going to sign for after this season? <laughs> I'd like to have the interest in just one day. I tell you what, it'd be worth it. It'd be, yeah, he'd be worth it. They paid that guy a billion dollars. He'd be worth it. I, 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 I just can't tell you what a, just a stunning baseball player he is. Stunning. He's apparently a pretty good guy, too, by, by all accounts. Is he? Yeah. I don't know. From what I've read, I mean, he doesn't speak English, but he's, uh, he's not a, you know, I, I will yeah. watch him play. I just love it. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Hey, James, uh, our guest is one of our favorite, at least co-favorite state party chairs in America, Democrat Ben Wickler from Wisconsin. Welcome back, Ben. Thank you so much, Al. Thanks so much, James. Usually state Supreme Court races are down ballot sleepy contest. Anything but for the April 4th election out in your state, supposed to be nonpartisan, uh, but Judge Janet Protosewicz. How did I do on that? Is that close? Nailed it. Perfect. Nailed it. Is the choice of Democrats and and Ann Kelly of Republicans. What are the stakes, Ben? Uh, so if you live in Wisconsin, you're probably thinking about the near total ban on abortion that will come before the state Supreme Court after this election's over. And whoever wins this election will 
cast the tie-breaking vote. Wisconsin State Supreme Court has a 4-3 right-wing majority. One Republican justice is resigning. So this race will determine the majority on the state Supreme Court. But if you're anywhere else, or if you're in Wisconsin, the stakes for democracy might also be on your mind because Wisconsin's the tipping point state in the Electoral College. It's why Republicans have put their national convention here and their first presidential primary debate here. Trump, DeSantis need Wisconsin to win in 2024. And Wisconsin State Supreme Court is the court that came the closest to overturning the 2020 presidential election results. It came down to one vote on the state Supreme Court. And in fact, Dan Kelly had been on the court. We defeated him in the spring of 2020 when he ran for re-election. If he'd been on the court, he would have cast the deciding vote to overturn the election. And now he wants to get back on. And if you're wondering what he did between his loss in the spring of 2020 and right now, he advised the GOP on the fake elector strategy and then went on a big lie tour talking about, quote, unquote, election integrity. This guy is a walking, talking threat to democracy. And he wants to get on the court to make sure they stomp on voting rights uh, hold in place the ultra-gerrymandered legislative maps, and then potentially flip the 2024 election for the GOP. That Those are the stakes. It's the White House. It's voting rights for the U.S. Senate majority. Tammy Baldwin's on the ballot in 24. But this person, whoever gets on, will be in office for 10 years. My eight-year-old daughter will be casting a ballot in the 2032 presidential election during this justice's term, whoever wins on April 4th. So this is a, a huge deal for the immediate election, but also the long-term future of democracy in the state that tips the entire country one way or the other. Hey, Ben, a scenario. A month before the election, the Democratic preferred candidate is leading in the polls, and the other side mounts a vicious attack soft on crime. That was last October when Senator Ron Johnson, the most unpopular politician in Wisconsin, considered a buffoon in Washington, but it worked. He pulled a come-from-behind victory against a liberal Democrat. Do you fear a deja vu on April 4? Well, that is exactly the Republican game plan. That is what they are pouring millions of dollars into pulling off. But there's a difference in this election, which is that this isn't a Senate race. It's not a federal race. It's a state race. It's governed by state law. And in state elections, the Democratic Party of Wisconsin can provide unlimited support to the candidate. So we've transferred millions of dollars, and we are we're trying to raise money as fast as we can. And that means that we've actually been able to not just punch back, but to punch back heavier than they've been able to hit us. In, in a race like this, the Republicans are running all their money through dark money groups with undisclosed donors who seem to like it that way, who have to pay full freight for TV ads. They pay whatever rate the TV station charges them, and the TV stations are gouging them. Candidates, by law, get charged the lowest rate. So a dollar that we transfer to the candidate and the candidate used to buy a TV ad, it goes about three or four times as far as the money that the far right is spending to get Dan Kelly back on the Supreme Court. And what that means is that voters across the state, they, they see the hideous attack ads going after Janet, but then they see her ads where, where victims of crime who were in her courtroom talk about how she stood up for them, stood up for safety in the community, and they see her message about abortion, reproductive freedom, and democracy, and how terrible Dan Kelly is on every one of these things. Dan Kelly, who I should mention, has never presided over a criminal case in his life. He was a, a defense, criminal defense attorney, and then he went to work for Republicans. He advised Wisconsin right to life. He got $120,000 from the Wisconsin Republican Party. That guy doesn't have anything to say about public safety that isn't just a, a dishonest smear campaign. So we can beat them on that. 
and neutralize that issue and then go after them on these deeply, deeply personal, very charged and rightly so questions around whether doctors should be thrown in jail for, for helping women get the health care that they need, uh, whether you should have to have the resources to leave the state if you need an abortion. There's no exception for the health of the mother or rape or incest in Wisconsin's abortion ban. That seems just fine with Dan Kelly and his friends, but that is not what Wisconsinites want. Well, uh, as always, turnout is key. In November, as I understand it, the black turnout was a bit disappointing, a bit mediocre. You always worry about young voters. Uh, so what are your hopes and what are your worries uh, 10 days out? Well, there's two sides of this coin. So on, on one side, we are doing an intensive youth organizing effort. There's a, a huge amount of, of focus for our organizers, for our relational organizing program, community organizing program, our investments in uh, media, like black radio, in community newspapers, uh, folks doing outreach at every level to make sure that black voters in Wisconsin, young voters in Wisconsin get the message about the stakes, how extreme Dan Kelly is. This is a guy who compared affirmative action to slavery, and by the way, compared social security to slavery on a blog that he used to write. He is a, he's a radical far right-wing candidate. Um, so we're doing that work, and that will make a difference. And at the same time, the best way to end voter suppression in Wisconsin is to win this election, because it is our state Supreme Court that has chosen over and over to stomp on voting rights, especially in a way that hurts young voters, black voters, and other voters of color. Uh, just to take uh, one recent example, in 2022, Republicans proposed restrictions on drop boxes for absentee ballots in our state legislature. Governor Evers vetoed their voter suppression bill. What did the state Supreme Court do? Invented a basis out of whole cloth to ban drop boxes entirely in the state of Wisconsin and make it illegal to return a relative's absentee ballot or anybody's absentee ballot. On election day, I was knocking on doors. I talked to a father whose daughter had filled out her absentee ballot, given it to her dad to turn in, and then left for a 72-hour nursing shift across the state. For working families, people have less flexible schedules. The dad tried to bring the ballot in and was told that that was now illegal because of that state Supreme Court ruling. If we win this race, the state Supreme Court stops being an enemy of democracy and actually starts looking at the law and the Constitution and the basic principles that make Wisconsin Wisconsin when we're at our best, that will be a sea change and create, at, at last, a path for Wisconsin to become a pro-voter state that doesn't stomp on the rights of voters, especially the most marginalized voters, the way Republicans have been doing for more than a decade now. James, uh, how, you know, how, could we, how, how to send the money? Like right now, if we got people out there, what do you click to and what do you do? <laughs> so uh, this is my favorite question. You go to wisdems.org, W-I-S-D-E-M-S dot O-R-G. There is no limit on how much an individual is allowed to give to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. You can thank Scott Walker for that decision. Uh, but the Republicans made it so individuals can provide unlimited support. And again, just to underline this point, we can provide unlimited support to our candidate. We are doing a massive get out the vote campaign. We've been breaking every record. I think we're going to double or triple our previous record for any spring election when it comes to door knocking in this election, to calling people's phones, to getting the message out on social media, and to providing direct support to this campaign. And this, let me also say, when you donate to support this work to get out the vote for April 4th at the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, it's going to affect the Supreme Court race. It'll also affect local elections that the right has been targeting. They've gone after mayors who sided with voters in the 2020 election, like the mayor of Green Bay, the mayor of Racine. Those mayors 
stood up to the big lie, stood up to the Republican uh, voter suppression machine and have been targeted for it. So we're in their corner. We're, we're supporting candidates for school board, city council, people who will be directly involved in the question of whether democracy survives in 2024. All of that is on the line. But we only have 13 days. The moment we're recording this, we have 13 days to win these elections. If we do, it changes history. It changes the history of Wisconsin. And as goes Wisconsin, so goes the nation. So whatever you, whatever in 2024 you will wish you had donated right now to prevent the election from being overturned, give to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin right now at wisdems.org. And while you're there, sign up to volunteer. Wisdems.org. So, Ben, you and I have talked about this, but in the 2022 cycle, black turnout was just not very good. It wasn't good in Georgia. It wasn't good in North Carolina. It wasn't good in Wisconsin. uh, Tell me, what what are we up to 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 try to motivate uh, turnout among uh, black voters in Wisconsin? Well, the, the biggest innovation in organizing over the last few years has been the the realization that the messenger matters, not just the medium or the message, but the messenger really matters. And the most powerful messenger is the person that you know. So there's been a shift, you know, we still do door knocking door to door, uh, the, you know, every kind of advertising and, and messaging you can possibly do. Folks are writing postcards to voters, texting, phone calls. But the thing that has the biggest impact is when someone you know reaches out to you and talks about how important the election is. So we built a team specifically to work on connecting with folks and asking them to be kind of the the, the, the vote, get out the vote captains for their own friend group and to reach out. The term of art for this is relational organizing, which is, in a way, it's the oldest thing in politics. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors. But now we can actually show someone on their phone, here are all your friends who are registered to vote, who aren't registered to vote, if they've requested an absentee ballot, if they've returned that absentee ballot. You can, they can text, they can call them, they can just go back and you know, record it after they meet up with them at a, at a barbershop or at a grocery store. And then we can actually map that data onto our voter file and figure out who has not yet heard from their friends, who might need an extra nudge to be able to do it. And then thank people for, for doing that outreach and tell them, hey, your friend just voted. That is a sea change in how this kind of organizing works. So that, you know, that's, that's something that I think has enormous promise, something that we're deeply invested in in this election and that we're going to do going forward. Because, I, I mean, there's one study that found it had 13 times the impact of getting a knock on your door from a stranger. And I, I think that, that that might even be understating the case. It's a game-changing thing, but it takes a ton of fine-grained organizing and trust. You can't show up you know, the day before the election and say, hey, like, why don't you load this app on your phone, put all your contacts into it, and then call your friends. You actually need to establish a real relationship months before the election, years before the election. And that's why our community organizing team, our Black Coalitions team, uh, you know, operation, it's been in place since the spring of 2021, and it hasn't stopped, and it won't stop. We're doing this now, and we'll do this through 2024 and beyond. Wow. That's it. Um, Seems like that's something that could really work. It's something different because I got to tell you, what we're doing now is not working very well. This sounds like a plan B, and that's definitely what we need. Uh, So I had a debate appearance with Ryan's previous the former RNC chair, but former uh, Wisconsin Republican. And he, he said the Democratic vote coming out of Dane County, which is uh, Madison, Wisconsin, is much more impressive than what we get out of Milwaukee County. 
and, and talk a little bit about Milwaukee County, Dane County, and what kind of boat lead we need coming out of there to withstand with inevitable northern Wisconsin. So Dane County is this extraordinary uh, vote-generating uh, kind of bolt of lightning because in successive elections, the population has grown, the percent of the population that votes has grown, and the margin that the voters give to Democrats has grown. That's a triple threat. It's a, it's a trifecta of, of victory. Milwaukee has had a shrinking population, and turnout has not grown, but the Democratic edge has grown. So population, we obviously don't have much effect on, but the big question is, what's happening with turnout? And if you zero in on it, Republicans have figured out how to target Milwaukee voters, black voters, low-income voters, Latino voters, and to some extent, young voters. That has been the huge, huge focus of their work. Now, Dane County is more diverse than a lot of parts of the state, but Republicans kind of work to make it easier for affluent white people to vote. That's been the, that's been the hallmark of their strategy. Right. And there's, there's, that part. There's a, it just happens that in Dane County, there's a lot of voters like that who are Democrats. Um, you know, there's also, there's, there are voters of color and there's, there's uh, low-income voters. But the, the way that Republicans have systematically tried to disenfranchise people lands hardest on Milwaukee, and that is no accident. One of the Republicans who was involved in writing the, the voter suppression law that passed, the voter ID law, they call it, but it was pretty specifically tailored towards stopping some people from voting, he became a whistleblower after that law passed and said Republicans were giddy. That's the word he used when they realized how much it would reduce turnout by young people and black voters. And after the 2022 election, the the chair of the Milwaukee, the, the fourth congressional district Republican Party, who, by the way, is an appointee to the state elections commission by the Republican state Senate president, that guy, and he was also a fake elector, uh, Bob Spindell, he's a lot of, lot, of, uh, lot of hats he wears. He wrote a memo talking about the well-thought-out, well multifaceted plan that led to the decrease in the vote in Milwaukee, where he said we can be especially proud of the decrease in black and Hispanic votes. And in there, he talked about, he, saw, he called it extremely significant continued court litigation. He also talked about their biting ads on black radio. They fund a, a radio show. They spread disinformation through a whole bunch of different channels. But this is their project, and this will continue until it's made illegal because Republicans know if they stop people they don't want to vote from voting, and black voters are at the top of that list, then that's how they can win elections. And we have to, we have to know about it, and we have to fight back and defeat it. Uh, because the path to democracy, to building a multiracial democracy that actually lives up to the ideals of our country, is to end the scourge of voter suppression and make sure that every voice is heard and that both sides have to compete to win votes from every population instead of trying to suppress the votes from the people they don't like. Wow. I mean, that's stunning when you stop and digest that they, they are intentionally and proud and bragging about their effect to stop people from voting. I mean, it... You know, usually these kind of people operate in the dark, or you know, <laughs> around the corner here. They're, 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 they're very, very public. And I hope everyone that listens to the show uh, understands what the, the stakes are here. Uh, what, let's think a little bit about this election. Do, do you think will be the effect of a win for us? Not, I know the effects legally on the Supreme Court and particularly abortion and other issues like that. But will it have a good effect going forward from into 2024, do you think? So there's a win or a loss. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, the, the loss scenario, 
What's frightening is to think about the fact that Republicans have learned their lessons from what didn't work in their coup attempt in 2020. Uh, you know, the, the conservative who didn't vote to overturn the election, he pointed out that Republicans objected to the election rules only after they knew they lost. Well, the solution to that's pretty obvious if you're a lawyer for Donald Trump. You object to the voters you don't like before the votes are cast, and then you try to throw out their votes afterwards. So they have a roadmap to try to steal the next election. And if we lose, I'm terrified about what they might try to pull to, to disenfranchise people going into Election Day, but then to throw out ballots after Election Day and flip the result. If we win, though, it, it, it almost makes me shiver to think about what's possible because Wisconsin has been on the edge of a cliff ever since Scott Walker, Ron Johnson, Reince Priebus, the whole Republican apparatus swept in in 2010 and then started rigging every one of our laws in 2011. But all of that could start to fall apart if we win the Supreme Court race. Start with gerrymandering. These maps are unconstitutional. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. But under this Supreme Court, the, the Republican Supreme Court in Wisconsin didn't just approve the maps, it chose the maps. It asked the Republicans to drop their dream maps and then decided those would be the maps for the state. It's the only court in the country that resolved a, a, a partisan logjam between a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature on maps and just went with the Republicans in this century. That, that's as far back as the legal scholar that I'm referring to here has actually looked. So the legislative maps could be vulnerable to a constitutional challenge, and that could lead to redistricting potentially in the middle of this decade and open the door to Wisconsin becoming an, an actual democracy where the majority of the, of the votes determine the majority of the legislature. We saw what happened in our neighboring state of Michigan when they got fair maps. They became a Democratic trifecta in 2022, and they just repealed right-to-work legislation. So workers have the right to organize there. Working people have a fair shot again. That could happen in Wisconsin if we win this Supreme Court election. So much more. Access to health care, the expansion of Medicaid. Wisconsin is the only state that Biden won that has not expanded Medicaid. It is, it is a shocking situation where tens of thousands of people don't have health care who should have health care, and the state is just leaving billions of dollars on the table out of Republican spite. There's marijuana legalization. There's a whole list of different things that can change if we win the legislature. That becomes possible with this race. And also, just the comfort of knowing that we have a state Supreme Court that will give the people who come before it a fair shake and actually look at the law and the Constitution and not just plump for the GOP at every single turn, it could help reinstill faith in public life in a state where that faith has been so battered and bruised and nearly broken. Wisconsin used to have this tradition of being one of the, the best state governments in the country, a clean, honest government. Whether Republicans or Democrats were in charge, we helped lead the way for showing how government could be a force for good. Republicans have tried to smash that to pieces, and it's time to build it back. So uh, before I turn to it, I only have one impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway because we're going to talk about it during the show. Uh, let's assume that Trump is indicted, I don't know, Friday or next Monday or something like that. What is your estimate, what would estimate be the effect on, on the Wisconsin Supreme Court race? This is one of these questions that keeps me up at night. And <laughs> that, <laughs> That's why I asked it. So if that happens, I mean, it, it could go all kinds of different directions, but we have to expect that the impact of that would be that Trump supporters get angry and that they start turning out in numbers that they would not have turned out otherwise. And if any Democrat is listening to this show right now, I will say, I mean, again, 
donate at wisdoms.org, volunteer, go to wisdoms.org slash volunteer and sign up for some phone making shifts wherever you are in the country, because we need to spike turnout on our side. There's nothing at that point that we can do to tell Republicans to calm down and let justice take its course. They might turn out just to punch back at the legal system for actually holding Trump accountable. And in that moment, Democrats need to get even more furious about the lawlessness and extremism of the right and turn out in record numbers. I, I want to close with a, a, a story that keeps looping in my brain. In 2019, right before I became chair, there was a state Supreme Court race in Wisconsin. The progressive candidate in the Republicans' own internal polling, they've released this afterwards, was up by eight points. But in the final week, Republicans flooded in dark money, incendiary messages to fire up Republicans who don't normally vote in spring elections, their turnout surged. And the Republican won that race by half a percentage point, by 5,981 votes. If we had won in that election, then in 2020, after I became chair and we won the state Supreme Court race against Dan Kelly, the guy who's running right now, if, we had, if we'd won in 2019, then 2020 would have given us the majority, we would have had fair maps in 2021, and we would have a Democratic trifecta right now in 2022, passing laws that make people celebrate, instead of just trying to veto the most obscene right-wing legislation that they keep trying to force through. All of that comes down to that one vote per precinct in 2019. So in this election, even if you think that we are ahead, even if we are outspending the other side, and as of right now, in this moment, we are, do not think for a second that it couldn't change on a dime. You've got to sprint through the finish line with everything you've got until the polls close at 8 p.m. on April 4th. That is our goal. And if we do that, we change history. Amen, brother. Yeah. Ben, you, um, as you were talking to James, obviously Dane and Milwaukee and Green Bay, the big counties matter a lot. But before the 2020 election, I asked you, give me a bellwether county. Give me a place that I, you know, will probably tell us who's going to win because it's going to be close. And you said Salk County over, I think, in Western. And I looked up and Biden carried by almost 600 votes, almost reflecting exactly his statewide margin. Do you have a bellwether county this time for April 4? The county I'm going to be obsessed with is Waukesha County, because if we get above 40 percent in Waukesha County, we don't need to win. We just need to lose by less. If we're above 40 percent, then we're going to win this election. And is that a wow county? It's a wow county. That's the first W yeah. in wow. It's Waukesha, Ozaki, okay, right. and Washington. It, the, the Republican stronghold, the biggest source of Republican votes has always been Waukesha County. But Democrats have been doing better and better there. And, you know, the, the, the big question is, is it going to snap back to the Republican column or is it going to keep trending in our direction? In the primary, one of the Republican candidates had, was a judge from Waukesha County who presided over a very high-profile trial in Waukesha County, and she won in Waukesha County and cleaned up. The question is, do the people who vote for her, do they go to Dan Kelly because he's also a Republican, or do a bunch of them come over for Janet Protasiewicz? And that question about the suburban swing, that's the big, I would say, central question. Now, Statewide, we're trying to hold down Republican margins in rural areas. Demo rural Democrats are doing amazing organizing work. We're trying to drive up turnout in Dane County and Milwaukee County and, and, and hold and improve the margins. I mean, every corner of the state is going to matter. But if there's one place that I put a pin in, it's watch Waukesha County. If we can get, you know, 38, 39, but especially if we're above 40, we are sitting pretty to win this election statewide. 
Ben, you mentioned earlier that it didn't used to be this way. Now, no, Wisconsin is no stranger to divisiveness. That's how it was the home of Joe McCarthy, after all. But it, today it seems more bitter, more personal, uh, more venomous. Why? I frankly think that this was an intentional strategy by the GOP that in a way was the Koch brothers punching back after McCain-Feingold. I mean, Citizens United knocked down a bill that was an extension of this uh, good government ethos from Wisconsin that now is stretched across the country, the Bipartisan Campaign Finance Reform Act. Citizens United ended that. In 2010, the, the Koch network, Reince Priebus, Scott Walker, the, the Republican machine rolled in, flipped us from a Democratic trifecta to a Republican trifecta. And one of Scott Walker's biggest donors asked him, when's he going to go after the private sector unions? And he said, divide and conquer. And that is the, the centerpiece of how Republicans have approached their path to victory in Wisconsin starting in 2010. I sometimes say that the Trump era started in Wisconsin in 2010. It got so intense. First, they went after teachers unions and, and public sector workers unions, massive protests in the Capitol. Republicans broke the law six ways to Sunday to smash through their, their, um, their legal changes. Then they went after voting laws. They went after changing campaign finance laws, all these things. It really goes back to that, that, that moment. Before that, there were big fights between Democrats and Republicans, but it didn't have this kind of bitter edge. There's a whole book called The Politics of Resentment about how the right has fueled resentment as a kind of uh, jet fuel for Republican politics. I, I want to win not only so that we can have better policies and more progressive policies and better government, but also because I want to show that that kind of extreme, extreme negativity and extreme partisanship is actually a political dead end. I think we can de-radicalize the Republican Party by making this version of the Republican Party politically toxic. If Republicans think they actually have to appeal to most voters to, get, to, to win an election, they might strike a different note, and that would be better for everyone. Because, you know, to, to a large extent, Ben, it's worked for them. I mean, you know, the previous, I think, seven national elections prior to 2016, the Democrats won, uh, including big victories in 08 and 12. Uh, you know, you more you held, you more than held your own in uh, state races. Uh, but certainly, the politics look like they have moved right in the last five or ten years. It's true. I mean, at the same time, if you look nationally, there was a study that found that when you smash unions and and make a a state a right to work state, or as we say here, right to work for less, it moves the presidential partisan vote share by three point five percentage points. Because working people don't, you know, aren't part of an of a organization that gives them trusted communication about who's on their side. That's been a huge part of the Republican strategies, going after workers, going after unions. And Wisconsin has lost more union members than any other state this century. I mean, this has been ground zero for destroying the, the ties that, that allow the working class to stand up for working people. So I think this is part of a strategy that's not just about how they message, but it's also about trying to dismantle the things that hold people together. And, you know, if you go into a union hall, there are Republicans, there are Democrats, but they're having a beer together and talking about what it's like at the workplace. And it's not the kind of like, you know, the, the, the kind of hostility Republicans have tried to instill across our state. When Democrats run campaigns, if you look at Janet's ads, she's going after Dan Kelly, I mean, very strongly, but she's also making a positive case for herself. Dan Kelly's not running a single positive ad for himself at all. Tony Evers talked about what he'd done for communities all across the state of Wisconsin, as well as showing how extreme his opponent was. The, the Republican strategy here is all fear and smear. And it's, 
you know, it's usually they're recipes that they show images of black people who've committed crimes and then try to make it seem like the, the Democratic candidate, whether they're black or white, is on the, on, the, on the side of the person they're demonizing. That is their one move. And I want to make that kind of politics a relic in history that we have to teach our kids about, not something that Republicans can use effectively to, to win elections in a state that they've rigged to tilt the playing field towards Republicans. Ben, uh, James is going to wrap this up in a fascinating conversation. I used to do a CNN show, and we asked what, at the end what was called the big question. So the big question for you now, can the PAC win without Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely. We, man, we've, we help create amazing, history-changing quarterbacks in Green Bay. That is, that is part of what Wisconsin produces, along with beer and cheese and brats. So there's a, there's a very, very bright future ahead that can take a minute to get there. But I'm, I have nothing but hope for the, the team that I'm a very proud member of the, the community ownership of as a Packers shareholder. Hey, well, James. Wisconsin's produced the best state party chair we've got. you got important work to do, Ben. I can't thank you enough. Go back to work, and we'll be with you on election night for April 2023. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, you got, you got real work to do. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. And now for the outrage of the week. James, every day, new depositions underscore what a fraudulent organization Fox News is. A couple new ones this week, uh, mainly from a former Fox producer, Abby Grossberg, who has filed a suit. Uh, in one, she says, Tucker Carlson's office has a picture of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi supposedly in a bikini, to kind of make fun of her. Y you know, that's the kind of juvenile pranks that sixth grade boys used to do. Uh, and maybe that's the mentality of the Tucker Carlson uh, group. It also is so misogynistic. No surprise. Grossberg also charges she was forced to spy on anchor Maria Bartiroma, who the executive said was crazy, menopausal, and hysterical. Those are quotes. Now, that sounds like the old KGB rather than a newsroom. She also, by the way, was told to uh, dissemble and, 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 in essence, give false testimony on the Dominion suit. But if the top brass at Fox thought that Bartiroma, who I don't know, was, was, quote, crazy, menopausal, and hysterical, end quote. Why did they keep her on the air? The answer to that is because they're Fox News. Yeah. yeah th th this sounds too unbelievable, but remember this name, Andrew Kloster, K-L-O-S-T-E-R. And Mr. Kloster is a pretty significant person in Republican circles, uh, he's a graduate of New York University School of Law, which is a top 10 law school, a former clerk with the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which they're probably one half of one percent of graduating law students get an appellate court uh, uh, clerkship. Uh, his bio on the Federalist Society site, he's so, so prominent that he's on the Federalist Society site. Uh, he served as, as associate director of White House Office and Presidential Personnel, deputy general counsel for the Office of Personnel Management, where he was eventually promoted to acting general counsel. This guy is powerful. Now, why do I bring Mr. Kloster up? It, on a piece in Psych Daily Beast by a guy named Roger Solenberger, who I've read before is a good reporter, he said that 
he was looking for a woman, women with a punchable face, that he was a raging misogynist, that actually the, the reparations should be paid by black people to white people because uh, he said that slavery was voluntarily, that slaves did everything and white people didn't free slaves. Conclusion, slavery was voluntary. I could go on and on, uh, but for God's sakes, just go and look this guy up. And, and, and he, he's a credentialed guy. If you met him on the street, I'm sure you would, you know, would be very kind of banal with a, with a sterling resume. And, and fantasizes about punching women and black people playing reparations. And, mean, and, and now, of course, he's working on a staff of Congressman Matt Gates. But this is the kind of people that you're dealing with. And never forget that. Well, he'll fit very comfortably in with Matt Gage, don't you think, James? I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he fits pretty comfortably in the mainstream of the Republican House Caucus. That's true. But the, well, the Matt- idea that that you know, there's two there's two sides to every argument. There's no two sides to punching women in the face. There's no two sides to to slavery. Not at all. I, I mean, God damn, man, he's just just some awful freaking people. Oh, they are. Okay, now for our listener questions. Um, God, we get great questions from those, from those listeners, James. We have a terrific audience. Uh, I think sometimes we learn as much from them as they do from us, if not more. First one is from Tom over in London, the UK. He says, during the 22 cycle, the Dems were criticized for boosting campaigns of certain of their most extreme GOP opponents. It was a risky strategy, but the results suggest that it was powerfully effective and helped me many, a number of Democrats get elected. Should Democrats help Trump get the nomination? Well, first of all, it's a good question. And, and yes, it, and, and contrary to all the hand-wringing and everything, it was successful. Look, it, we're a, when the United States is in a, a really sticky spot, and the only thing that's going to save it is electing Democrats. Let's don't kid ourselves. And to the extent that our political operatives are willing to take some risk to win some elections, I think it, 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 it is, is a good thing. Not a bad thing. Of course, you know, risk like anything else, that they can backfire, they can blow up on you. But smartly executed, it'll matter. In terms of them, I think we just got to watch it. We always like to focus on the problems that Democrats have, right? Now, DeSantis is apparently caught in a recent polling that this has done nothing as we thought it might. It seems that we were right that it strengthened his hand internally. But, but don't kid yourself. There's, there's no way this is going to help you in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, in, 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 in these wild counties in Wisconsin, you name it. So I, I don't know. I don't think there's much we can do to, to interfere to help Trump. I think the thing is going on, and they, they got a, a horribly, horrible set of, of choices that they're going to have to make going forward. So uh, let's just do our knitting here. I think that other, there's other places we can get involved, but picking the Republican presidential nominee, um, they seem to be doing a good job of blowing themselves up. Yeah, they can screw it up enough. They don't need help. Uh, right. Jason in Des Moines, Iowa, asks, is advocating for the enhanced child tax credit an opportunity for the Democrats' party to wing back rural whites? From my perspective, this is not just good politics, but more importantly, good policy that reduces child poverty. Jason, First of all, you're absolutely right. 
It was one of the great anti-poverty measures. We still have a child tax credit, but it was enhanced up to 3000 per credit. It didn't resonate politically the way I thought it could have and should have. One reason may be was because it was given to people making up to $400,000 a year, which is kind of a hard case to make. Uh, but, it, you know, if they could lower the level and keep, I mean, it's not going to happen with this house, but I think it's a good issue to talk, talk about in the 2024 campaign because it is one of the great anti-poverty measures uh, that we've seen in this country. It, it really is. But look, it's the rural whites, I mean, expanding Medicaid, if you're a rural white man, nothing more important to you. And that doesn't move people. Yes, we should do it. And hopefully we'll have some marginal success. By the way, I'm going to be in Iowa City uh, coming up here in a, another couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to, to, to being there at uh, the University of Iowa, which is a great school, great state. The Hawkeyes. But, uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but yes, that and we we need to take credit for it, and we we need to point out its impact on on children in in counties, and particularly rural counties in places like Iowa. Absolutely, James. There's a former Iowa congressman, a really good Republican named Jim Leach, and he had two dogs. One was named Hawkeye, and the other was named Cyclo, which is the Iowa State uh, uh, mascot. And Mark Shields says, "You're going statewide, Jim." I never did. Uh, the next question is from Terry in Palmetto, Florida. Uh, she said she was excited uh, when Nikki Freed became the chairperson of the Florida Democratic Party. But after a month, there's no new excitement or enthusiasm to motivate Democratic voters. What can she do and what can the rest of us yeah. do to increase Democrat votes in right. Florida? I know I, you have a high regard for Nikki Freed, well, so I, I, tell Terry. I, I like Nikki and I've been texting with her. And I, 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 just a month is not going to make or break us, but I think she's got a lot of stuff going on below the waterline right now. And let's just hang in there and see what we got com coming up. But they're, they're, they're going to try some new and different things. And I, I think, uh, you know, she was former selected agriculture commission in Florida as a Democrat, and I, I think she can do a good job. Yeah. This is a you big know? Florida uh, contingent right in today, James. Jeff in St. Pete Beach, Florida, says... This no-label shit is going to be 2016 all over again. Rinse and repeat. Don't let up on this, James, you and, and me too. The Democrats will not see it until it's too late. How can we combat it? First of all, talking about what a fraud it is. If you want to build a third party, a fourth party, an independent party, you don't stop at the top. Don't start at the top. Start at the grassroots. Go down and try to elect city councilmen, elect state legislators, elect state reps. They don't want to do that. Because, because all they want to do, this is a scam. No labels is a scam, and that's what they want to do. And they want to, and if they succeed and they get people on the ballot, I think, James, you nailed it. All they're going to do is help Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. Oh, God, yes. I mean, think of what Ralph Nader did. Think Jill Stein got more votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin than, than Hillary lost by. There's, there's only one, this is pure evil. The only thing it could do is cost Democrats electoral votes in states where they so-called get on the ballot. This, this is a, a, a scam. It's a fraud. And, and it's against the total interests of the United States. I, this, this, this organization is up there with, with, with terms of anything in terms of the damage it can do. For what? So people can make a bunch of money. Okay, James, this is down your alley. Chris in Covington, Louisiana. Uh, 
says he's looking at the Louisiana governor's race, and after Billy Nungesser and Garrett Graves bailed out, he says he sees the only viable alternative is someone named John Schroeder. said he was my state rep before treasurer, and I know him personally. He's always been a reasonable character. What's your take on the race at this time, other than the fact that Jeff Landry is the devil? Right. But we have a hor hor horrific, and he's not just right wing. He's got corrupt people, oh, shady people around him. You're talking about Jeff Landry? Yes, and he's, I, he's the front runner on the Republican side. Schroeder's there. Uh, the, the, Sean Wilson, who I'm supporting, is the, Demo the only Democrat in the race. He's a transportation secretary. He was, uh, he's endorsed by John Bell, but I, got, I think the Republicans say that, you know, if you get Jeff Landry in a runoff with Sean Wilson, then they'll win and they'll, Jeff Landry will be governor. And that's not an unreasonable assumption, by the way. That, that's not unreasonable at all. Um, there seems to be a, a, a guy by the name of, I think it's Paul Wagespach, who comes to the same part of the state that I, I come from. Uh, was Bobby General's chief of staff, who was worst governor in the history of Louisiana, and was for 10 years ran lobby the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, an organization that's dedicated to, to low wages, among other things. But having said that, he would be, any of these people would be infinitely better than, than Jeff Landry. But it, it's a, you're very correct from Covington is up right across the lake from New Orleans, an affluent suburb of here. Bob, it, it, it's something to worry about. You yes. don't have any take on Chris's friend, John Schroeder? I, I, I'll, I'll take his word, but I mean, I know who he is. I've, I've never met him, but yeah. I, I can almost guarantee you he's better than Jeff Landry. <laughs> we're we're going to stay in Bayou land. This is from Kai in Ponchatoula, Louisiana. Did I <laughs> pronounce that correctly, James? You pronounced it exactly correctly. This it's question a, is actually for me. He said, I've heard you mention on one of the recent episodes that you believe... Trump ain't going to be the nominee. Do you still believe that now? And don't you believe that the hush money indictment in particular will be the one issue that could catapult him to win the nomination? Secondly, no. I think the whatever short bump, short-term bump he gets out of uh, the Manhattan DA indictment, whatever it is, uh, will be very ephemeral. Uh, I just think it's closing in on Trump, and uh, I'm sticking. I'm sticking with my guns. Trump will not be the Republican nominee. Um. You know, I think the temporary effect is going to be that anybody that opposes him is a traitor, that the globalist George Soros critical race theory woke, I don't know, <clears throat> uh, drag show or whatever. And um, I, I, I held your view. I, I hold it a little less now. But, but you know, there's a lot more coming. So You're not I, giving it up yet, right. Uh, yeah, but it, that, right now it's going to have a galvanizing effect on, among Republicans. You can see it in the polling already, and it, 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 you know we'll, we'll see. But I, I, I'm less. I, I used to feel pretty confident he would not be the nominee. I am, as of this moment, significantly less confident. Kai adds very nicely. He said to me, "I hope you're doing better. You seemed a little under the weather last episode. That's because I was Kai. After escaping for three years, I came down with COVID." It's actually a very, very mild case, but I sounded awful last week. I didn't feel nearly uh, as bad as I sounded, but uh, I'm much better now. And thank you for asking. Uh, and he also says, he got two, two, one message to me and one to you. He said, my grandson has an awesome name. Kai says that because his name is Kai. 
Uh, and I couldn't agree with you more, Kai. And for James, he says, purple and gold, baby. Well, right, you know, right now, obviously, been to baseball season. We, we uh, won a series in college station against A&M. We're playing Arkansas. Probably top five team this weekend in Baton Rouge. Uh, the football team's going to be good next year. That, that I'm certain of. I, I think our starting 22 is going to be as good as Alabama or Georgia. If we can develop some depth over the course of the season, I think we're going to be we're going to be highly competitive. And you know, at, well, in, in this is courtesy play. James has gotten me into this. There is only one non-SEC team in the top six college baseball teams. Five of the top six are SEC teams. The one exception is Wake, Wake Forest, Forest, my alma mater, <laughs> that just swept Notre Dame and uh, you know just beat Notre Dame in a doubleheader the other day. So go Deacons! Yeah, and you know it, it's funny because it can sports can be a little thin after the NCAA tournament, but the, 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 following college baseball is a lot of fun, and you got a good good team. And, and you know, I, I hope we meet y'all up. Hope we meet up in Omaha. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. Final question is from Reed in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Uh, that's not Florida, Jacksonville, North Carolina. I've been there. Uh, and it's for you, James. He said, uh, after number 16 Princeton's mega upset over number two Arizona, who are the Tigers, LSU or Princeton? <laughs> well, you got, what about Clemson or Auburn or Missouri or even the Detroit Tigers? But the, right now, yeah, I got to say, uh, Princeton is the tiger of, uh, of, college, of college basketball. And, you know, they have a history of doing pretty good in, in the tournament. You know, our friend uh, Senator Bradley went there and, uh, you know, it's obviously one of the great institutions of higher learning anywhere in the world, but... Uh, they, they play a good brand of basketball. So uh, right now, my hat's off to Princeton, and for now, they're the Tigers. But they're, they're Tigers everywhere. I tell you, be careful. <laughs> well, Bill Bradley, it's not only a great school. Bill Bradley was one of the greatest college basketball players of all times. I mean, you know, maybe 10, I don't know what. And this uh, week, his, uh, his teammate, who was the captain of those two Nick teams that won the uh, world championships in 70 and 73, Willis Reed, passed away. He was from Louisiana, James. Yeah. He was really one of the great competitors in the history of the NBA. Uh, and that, that, uh, his, his performance in that cha championship game uh, against Will Chamberlain went on one leg. He limped out uh, and started and helped guide the Knicks to a victory. Willis yeah, Reed was a great one. Right. I think he was from the same neck of the woods that Bill Russell and Carl Malone are from. It's a pretty... Two pretty fast basketball players. Man, let's check the water the down there, huh? Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah, he was. And uh, that was fun. I, I'll never forget that Knicks team. It was, you know, they had, they had some colorful characters, and they were, they were very good. Yeah, yeah, they really were. Okay, keep those letters and emails coming in. We love this segment. If we didn't get to it this week, we'll try to get to it next week. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and Hold On Bags in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them because when you do, you help make this podcast happen. Now, to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 
Please rate the show with a five-star review. And we'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.